actually accuse God of failing in his promises to you? Remember the promises he made you. I'm looking at what I don't think he did for me. You didn't do this, and you didn't give me this, and why did you stick me here? Well, how about taking God at what he promised to do, not what I asked him to do? And we rate God on a scale of our expectations instead of putting him and holding him to his promises and saying he always keeps his promises. Today on the Songtime broadcast, we are reminded once again from Psalm 77 that God is faithful. He always keeps his word and he is always good to those who trust in him. That message from my late great mentor, Dr. Colin Smith, stay tuned for it, is an encourager. But first, we're talking once again with Gavin Ortland as we're talking about theological triage and how to prioritize our passions, our desires, as well as our doctrine and theology. Many voices coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. This week, we've been talking with Gavin Ortland. He's written a book called Finding the Right Hills to Die on, The Case for Theological Triage. Now, there are many different circumstances in the world in which we're living today, and if you haven't noticed, everyone sort of has their own soapbox, or in line with the book title, we all have our own hills that we want to die on. And quite honestly, they're probably more mounds than hills. The reality that we face around the world today that there are so many things to be outraged about, and there are so many people that will fuel that outrage, it's very hard to distinguish what are the actual important issues of our day. What are the things that we ought to be focusing our energy on so that we can actually be at peace and at rest and trust that God will take all things into consideration. God will put all things and make all things right, as we're looking at in Psalm 77. Well, uh, Gavin, this is a subject that I think many of our listeners are struggling with, especially when it comes to doctrine and theology. It seems that all theology and all doctrine should be set at the highest level. How do you put them in a proper order? So where do we even begin to do what you're suggesting here is theological triage? Mm -hmm. One of the uh, tools that I have found helpful is looking in Scripture to see the different sort of ethos or tone or culture of different passages uh, in relation to different doctrines. So uh, a, a clear example would be the Apostle Paul writing in Galatians 1, where he's astonished at an abandonment of the gospel, he's indignant, versus writing in Romans 14, where he has a more moderating approach. He's basically saying, don't fight so much over this. And the difference is, one of these issues is a gospel issue, how we are made right before God, that's the Galatians. but. The food laws differences among Christians in Romans 14 were just not that kind of issue, and they're not worth fighting over. And so as we see the different concerns in these different passages, that helps us realize a, a godliness will um, have a different posture toward different issues, just like the Apostle Paul did, or uh, Jesus, you think of speaking of the weightier matters of the law to the Pharisees. There are just things to prioritize. I have found four criteria really helpful for working through how do we make the difference? You know, how do we know what's a Galatians 1 moment and what's a Romans 14 moment? Let's see if I can remember them all. Um, one is our, our highest is obviously the scripture itself. How clear is something taught in scripture? Some things are labored and emphasized in the Bible. Other things are more obscure and difficult and just in a few isolated passages. Another help is church history. 
that's what's been so helpful to me, just seeing what other Christians have thought. And that's a valuable testimony that helps us, even if we don't see it at the same level as Scripture. Um, another would be the practical effect upon the church. Some things might be pretty clear in Scripture, but they don't have as significant a consequence in how they play out on the street level day to day. Um, and another would be the logical relation to the gospel. Uh, there are some doctrines that are very much invested in the basic message of how we are made right with God. And so that will be a clue that this is something that we really want to be careful about and clear about. Hmm. Now, I want to pick on one in particular, because you've already brought it up, but also because we just wrapped up a, a message on on uh, uh, circumcision in uh, Genesis 17 and the sign of the covenant. Uh, there is a particular group uh, uh, prof- uh, that professed that that means baptism and paedo-baptism, baptizing babies today. Uh, and if that's tied to the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament, this is, this is a commission and a command. Uh, it seems like that is a strong issue that they would have a very hard time compromising on if that is such a strong issue of holding that covenant in the Old Testament and carrying that into the New Testament uh, with all of the threats and the, all of the, 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 the harsh wording of, of not keeping that covenant in the Old Testament, it seems like that would be an issue that would be very difficult for people to come alongside of each other. Yeah, the, well, the, the baptism question is one I, I canvas in the book, and I try to make the case that it's in kind of that middle rank of where the dangers could be, on the one hand, to say, if we disagree about this, we can't see each other as genuine Christians. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's not correct. And there's many ways to see that. One is just to see the evident fruit uh, of the gospel in in traditions that disagree on this topic. There's so many wonderful men and women of God who come down on di- different sides of questions about how exactly we should practice baptism. And I think that's a caution to us to not be so emotionally invested in, in our view that we can't see Christ in the other side. Um, on the other hand, it, it's also possible to downplay this one because it is important. It, it affects how we view membership in the church, mm-hmm. uh, for example. So it has a kind of ecclesial uh, consequence for church. So, um, you know, I think that'd be one of those ones where we can recognize we want to give people the freedom to follow their conscience for what they believe is right on that topic. And that's why we have different churches that have different practices. But then the great thing is to do what I just did with my pastor friends this morning is we can still partner in the gospel, even if we have different views on that topic. Mm. I think with the churches becoming more kind of, uh, uh, community church-based or uh, uh, non-denominational or interdenominational, a lot of these issues that are not being considered are sort of pushed aside, and people that have strong convictions on these issues are are not being heard or considered. Kind of in this age where a lot of things are about uniting, as you mentioned, if you have a strong view on paedo-baptism or credo-baptism, baptizing babies, or not baptizing babies, it's going to be very hard to function within a church that doesn't share those same values or views. Uh, I think we're in that stage now, especially in New England, where churches are fewer and farther between, to have a strong conviction and be a part of a local church that doesn't share those particular values. Yes. This is a, an irony that can sometimes play out, is that in the desire to not make an issue a stumbling block, and there can be a temptation to sort of put it to the side, but then that can itself be a stumbling block for those who whose consciences compel them 
to follow a particular practice they regard as the biblical practice. And so that's where I feel that we need to be sensitive to that danger of swinging too far in the other direction. And we need to be candid and transparent and kind of be honest to work through these issues and talk through them. And, and we can't deny that there are theological distinctions, right? We need to at least acknowledge them and even talk about them publicly. We can't just push them into the shadows. Yes, I think it's helpful. And that's, we mentioned the importance of dialogue before. You know, one of the things that I have observed through doing dialogue on my YouTube channel with people in other traditions is it's just so sad and grievous how frequently Christians have avoided communication mm-hmm. across our divides. And what happens then is we get stuck in a, a little silo and we develop a caricature of a different v, uh, view or a different tradition. And I've just seen this really does happen. And uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of prejudice and aloofness that that creates distance that is added on top of the theological difference. And what dialogue can do is it can reduce the aloofness and the prejudice and the caricature so that not that we deny the theological difference, but now we have a clearer understanding of what that is. And that is where we recognize a difference, not a, a misunderstanding of the other position. We've been talking with Gavin Ortland about his book called Finding the Right Hills to Die On, The Case for Theological Triage. You can find out more information about his book by giving us a call. It's 508-362-7070. It's 508 362 7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com. Well, today we're continuing our study in Psalm 77. This psalm teaches us how to cry out to God as we find ourselves awake at night, unable to sleep, struggling with all of the things that we're we're fighting, wrestling with God over. If you've ever been in that position, you've ever felt that your circumstances were overwhelming, that God wasn't listening to your prayers, well, I got to tell you, you're in good company. You are not alone. I've experienced that. Um, The psalmist experienced that. Abraham experienced that. The forefathers of our faith experienced all of these struggles, all of these troubles that remind us that our world is falling apart, but they also attract our attention, they take our focus, and they take our focus off of God so that we get distracted by our problems. We try to fix our problems, and we forget to turn to the one who has everything in control. Here, Colin Smith takes us to Psalm 77 as it reminds us to trust that God has all things work together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to to his purpose. Here is Psalm 77. It says, has his promise failed? Have you actually accused God of failing in his promises to you? Can God's promise fail? Remember the promises he made you. I'm looking at what I don't think he did for me. You didn't do this, and you didn't give me this, and why did you stick me here? Well, how about taking God at what he promised to do, not what I asked him to do? And we rate God on a scale of our expectations instead of putting him and holding him to his promises and saying he always keeps his promises. And in fact, has God forgotten to be gracious? In his anger, has he shut up his tender mercies? That word forgotten, by the way, is there for a point. It's to be an, an absolute opposite of the word remember. I'm to remember that God can't forget. All right? That's what he's saying. Can God forget to be gracious and mercy? Impossible. 
I must be seeing things wrong. Something is impossible here. I don't care where you are when you work on a problem. You, you get so frustrated that you forget the basics. If any of you have ever worked with computer programming, you, you have to keep sharp implements out of your hand when you do this. Because you reach a point where it's like, this isn't working, what's wrong with the machine? Probably nothing. There, you have probably forgotten that this machine, it's called Gigo, garbage in, garbage out. You know, the machine does the same thing. And you're going nuts because you, if you ever wrote a program, you forgot a line, you forgot a space, you forgot a colon, nothing more important than the colons. You forgot something that should have been there. God never does that. God can't forget these things. God is who he is. He is always gracious. You look and say, a gracious God wouldn't do this to me. Don't you ever believe it. You have no idea what a gracious God would give because you don't have any idea what he spared you from. You have no idea where you would be. Maybe you don't like that. Maybe you don't like what you're going through. You don't understand God if you think that what you're going through is anything other than grace and mercy. You've forgotten God, and you need to remember your God. Then I said, notice, this is my anguish, is what the King James says. You know what the Hebrew says? It's my problem. This is my problem, is what he says. I said, hold it. God isn't that way. It must be my problem. That is the hardest thing in the world to do. I, mean, I can't do it at 2 in the morning. It takes me a night to stew on it before I said, you know... It can't be God. I wonder who it must be then. <laughs> let, me, let me rehearse my options. I have a problem with God. If it's not God, it must be my wife. <laughs> you know, there's another, the only, it's got to be my problem. Well, that's not enough. Yeah, sure, it's your problem, but what do I do? Notice here, he says, I remember God's character and things are right. It must be my problem. Therefore, I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. The right hand is where the person sits who's on God's favor. The person who God shows his, that's where Jesus Christ is now, sitting at the right hand of God. He says, I'm going to remember the ways that God has privileged me and the things he's given to me. Nothing's worse than hearing a pastor complain about being a pastor. That is really bad. What a privilege. How can you complain about it? Do you want to see a guy get a brand new Cadillac and hear him complain about it? How in the world can you complain about your situation when God put you there and he loves you so much that that's what he thought you needed? That's where he chose to bless you. He put you there. He says, I'm going to remember the right hand, that I'm in the place of favor. I'm going to remember the works of the Lord. I'll remember the things he's done for me. Did you have that attitude when you were first saved? I want to tell you, I, I don't have to look far back to say, I'll just praise the Lord. I can't tell you how God worked to bring us here. I can show you bits and pieces, but my wife and I, we just took a, a step out. We just knew that God wanted us and we would go, and one by one by one by one, we saw God do this and do this and do this and do this. And he is an incredible God. 
You've got to look back and say, look what God did for me. Look at that. And when I hear a pastor complaining about something that happened in ministry, I'll say, God put you there, and that's a wonderful thing. Very few people ever get that privilege. You, the things you see and the wonderful privilege you have, don't you dare complain to me. Look at how God has met your needs. Look at every person that he's brought through your life. He used you to lead people to himself. If you never had that privilege, you ought to crave it. I, I would ask that you would look in your life and say, Lord, give me that privilege because there's nothing like it in the world than being used to lead someone else to him. Because it's not of you. It's like giving birth to a child. It's like this is of God. This is something that God had a hand in. Have you ever been too close to a problem that you couldn't solve it anymore? You had to walk away. You had to get away from the problem and come back and see it with a new set of eyes and to to tackle it on a different day. And maybe then, all of a sudden, it just comes clearly to you. It's all of a sudden dawned on you. You know, distance and perspective, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. In fact, it's how I write. Um, it's, I'll probably be writing today, and then I'll get stumped. I'll get my writer's block at some point today, and then I'll head off to go get my prime rib sandwich for lunch. And as I'm gone, uh, all of a sudden, these thoughts will come to my mind. And all of a sudden, I'll have clarity. and I'll come back after lunch. I'll eat my sandwich, and I'll sit down, and I'll start writing. And it'll just come more smoothly to me because walking away and giving yourself some time to think and to meditate and to process allows you to address the problem that's in front of you. But sometimes it's you're so engrossed in it, you're so surrounded by it, you're so overwhelmed, it seems over your head that you don't know how to get out of the problem. And therein lies our real problem. Really, this is the issue. We are so much in this world. We're so integrated into all of the things that are happening in, in around us. We have investments in the bank. We have our own concerns about what's happening with our family. We have friends that are struggling with sickness. All of these things are so consuming of our time and our attention that it's very hard for us to think outside of this world, to to actually go and think from a godly perspective. But that is what we're called to do. And Psalm 77 helps us in that process. It reminds us that we need to get away from the problem and focus on something else. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Step away from the problems. Step away from the chaos in this world and just spend time alone with God. And maybe, just maybe, then you'll gain the perspective that you need to address the circumstances that you face. I hope that this encourages you, and I hope that you'll be an encouragement to me. You can actually help support the ministry by giving to our Prime Rib Sandwich Fund. It's how it keeps us fueled here at Songtime with your contributions, your donations, and it keeps my brain turning so I come up with some really great ideas. So if you continue, are blessed by the ministry of Songtime, that's because of God and His graciousness, but also because God gave us prime rib sandwiches. And you can support that by sending your donation to Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630, or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com or look us up on social media. But don't forget to tune in again tomorrow. We'll continue our study here in Psalm 77 as we discover that 
these songs in our Bible are also designed for us to pray as prayers to God. Who is so great as our God? You talk about God. And then notice, you are the God who does wonders. You talk to God. Don't just talk about him. You tell him and you talk to him. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime and our late founder, Dr. John DeBrine, who has always encouraged you to grow in grace so that you won't groan in disgrace, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, Psalm 85, verses 4 and 7. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation.